Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And today, my guest, Dr. Ellen Burtz Cooper. And uh, she's just an amazing human being. I can't wait for you to hear her story. She's currently the Senior Managing Partner of Improved Consulting and Training Group. And they help personal and professional development with training and coaching and, and consultation. They've been featured in Time Magazine, Black Voices, Smart Business Magazine, Bloomberg, Business Week, and on and on and on. Now, now Ellen is also on the faculty at Case Western Reserve University in the Weatherhead Executive Education Program uh, in the Institute for Management Studies. Now, she's also written a couple of books. One book, The Amazing, with emphasis on maze, organizational teams. So navigating seven critical attributes for cohesion, productivity, and resilience. And also, Canine Instinct, a guide to survival and advancement in corporate America. Now, I could go on and on and on about her pedigree, her PhD, her education, but I can just tell you that once you just kind of meet her and listen to her story, uh, you'll be motivated and better off for it. So, Ellen, thank you so much for being a guest today. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, it's a it's always a pleasure to have people on um, who have such great backstories and different points of view than I do because our audience definitely gets tired of hearing my stories. So we're looking forward to hearing yours. So we'll start where we start with all of our guests. Tell us a little bit about why you do what you do and where that all started. I do a lot of work with teams and helping them engage in the workplace. And it started because I had a number of teams when I was in corporate America and I was a chemist and I was managing chemical laboratories and manufacturing and what I realized was, I don't care how many hours you work or how hard you work, guess what? You got to get it done with other people. And if we don't do that well, we leave money on the table. We're not as competitive. And so I went on this quest as a chemist to start learning these soft skills around teams. And what I realized, they were really the hard skills. That's what made us more productive. And so I really started to help my team and I'm competitive. So I like to win. And if I thought helping a better team was going to help me win, I'm doing it. And that's how I really started down that pathway. Now, now you obviously you got a lot of education in the STEM areas and you're a chemistry major. You went through all. Now, tell me a little bit. Let's, let's go back. I want to I want to rewind the tape back to where this little girl started getting this passion from. And what was that environment look like? That origin story, Ellen's origin story. Tell us a little bit about that. The, the origin, I, I grew up in, I don't often tell this, but I started recently telling it because when COVID hit, I started thinking back to how did I get so extreme because I used to be in an airport, as I mentioned to you, every week, going, running, and just flying around and loving it. And then when this tall hit, I was in the house and didn't leave the house for almost three months, not even go to the grocery store, didn't leave the house. And everybody thought, are you okay? And I thought, I'm perfectly fine. I was happy in both worlds, not just managing. I actually enjoyed both worlds. And I said, how is that even remotely possible? And I thought about childhood. And I grew up in a very, very, very different household in terms of behaviors and extremes. So my parents um, were very different. My mom and dad were on polar opposites on just about every major topic you can think of, from race to 
uh, academics, how you should uh, behave around other people, philanthropy, you name it. They each gave me a polar opposite view and I had to navigate that. And so it helped me start to get comfortable with different environments and settings and not just manage both, but actually enjoy them. So tell me a little bit more about that. So how, how, are, how are they different? What do you mean? Give me some examples. I'll give you some examples. So academics. Uh, I came home one day, my mom, uh, I told her I got a 98 on my exam. And she looked a little funny. My dad says, wait a minute, what's the highest you can make? I'm like, well, 100. He says, well, next time get that. <laughs> my mom looks at me and says, well, it's okay. I'm like, oh, she wants 101. She goes, no, I'd rather you help the person who got the lowest grade than I'd be happy. So she didn't care what grade I got as long as I helped somebody else get the highest grade. Did everybody get that grade? No, I have the highest score. She said, I would be happier when the person with the lowest score, you help them get a 98. And I kept thinking, this did not go as intended when I came to announce that. Different things like, this is the funniest piece. My dad was said, you get big, you make as much money as you can, and you save it. He was one of those. My dad was born in 1913. It's my biological dad, so do the math. <laughs> but it is my biological dad. And he says, save as much as you can. He was saving the mattress, wherever you can save it. My mom says, when you make a lot of money and you realize you don't miss it, you won't miss it if you give it away, give it away. So I've got a nice savings account, but I also started my first philanthropic fund that's in students to college when I opened my business. So I do both and, you know, my, my dad was more the kind who work ethic, work hard, just, just get up every morning, 4 a.m. And I still to this day get up at 4.30 every morning and just grind hard. And my mom was like, relax, take it easy, do what you can. And the, the funniest one, they would make me navigate this. I'm like, I didn't know who to call on my parents. Like, who do you call? <laughs> my, my, I came home one day and my, I was tired. My mom said, rest before your homework. And my dad purposely came in the room and said, get your homework done, then rest. <laughs> so I sat there and they walk out of the room. I'm like, they're setting me up. Like, I think they would go laugh about this. And it hit me. I went outside and my mom looked out the window and my dad came out and they both kind of had a smile. I had my girlfriend next door toss the ball to me while we did vocabulary words. So I was playing and working at the same. I figured out how to satisfy them both. And I've just learned to do that for my clients now. Wow, wow. What, what an interesting background too. And the fact that you started to have that recognition uh, that there, a lot, I think a lot of people, your mindset, right? It really does determine, um, you know, your altitude in life, right? How, uh, I think John Maxwell once said, your attitude determines your altitude. And, and I think that you had the ability to look at this and say, well, my dad's a driver and he's performance oriented and he wants to measure everything and he's driven. And yet my mom has this other side of her that's really empathic and sees the relational aspect of life. And, and you were able to pretty quickly see how critically important both of those were to success, right? Absolutely. It was required. And you think about it, things like she would say, Saturday morning, before you can go anywhere, you got to go around the neighborhood. And I would go to, especially the people in our neighborhood who are elderly, do you need me to get your paper in? Do you need me to do this or do that? And then my dad would always say, you know, it's your job. We would take cans to the junkyard and, you know, you sell aluminum cans, we would make money and things. And so I learned to do both. While I was on my March of Dime route, I would also sell stuff on the way. So I was making money and giving money and I couldn't get mad. I did them both. So I learned how to navigate it. At the time, it was very confusing. 
but it was kind of like a game then. And later I got to MBA school and somebody said, Ellen, that's called strategy. And I don't know that that's, I've ever heard that word in my household, but I have clients like that now. No, we don't want this plan. Yes, Ellen, we want this plan. Now they're on the same team and they hire me and I figure out a way to give them both what they need at that time. And I didn't know the word was called strategy. Wow, that's great. Now, because a lot of our listeners are probably thinking back to themselves and thinking about their own upbringing. And did they have a, a dad who was that way or a mom was that way or this way? Now you take that forward into life and think, what are the disadvantages of both? So your mom had all of these amazing strengths in relational empathy. Your dad had all these amazing strengths and, and just drive determination and, and competitiveness. What, what are some of the disadvantages of those characteristics? Yeah, so the disadvantage is if you take an extreme. And I watched it play out with my sisters and brothers sometimes. So I won't get into that because they'll they'll beat me up. <laughs> Seven, so I can't even go there. But I noticed if I take an extreme, sometimes my dad's view resonated more with me. And I would just grind hard. I remember my first job, I worked hours like you wouldn't believe. There's a consequence to that, a serious health consequence to it. I remember sometimes giving away so much of my time, saving my tax account and money. She was like, what are you doing? You don't even get any of this back. Like there is no, bit of, I just went to too many extremes because one would resonate over the other. So that's the disadvantage. And what I've learned is anytime something happens, I think about them both. They both passed away. And I say, where would she be over here? He would be on this other extreme. And what I realize now is I have to dial it back somewhere in the middle. What does this situation call for? Sometimes it is the extreme. And then sometimes it's somewhere in between those two. But early on, I didn't do that. I either went all in or all out. And to give you an example, I played classical piano. My mom enrolled me in university level piano when I was fourth grade. That kind of stuff, she had big achievement. And what was interesting, I played and I played every Saturday, every Saturday. And then when she finally said, okay, you're 18, you don't have to take lessons anymore. I literally stopped, no joke, in the middle of a recorded recital and just stopped and walked away and never played again. I've never touched the piano. <laughs> so really? it was extreme behavior. I, I'm not joking. Wow. I have taken a very extreme. I went from like not touching a dog. I never touched a dog before I was 26 years old. Never. And then I am a certified dog trainer. I ran agility with my dog and I did animal therapy for eight years. So when I finally got a dog, I went all in. Right, right. So I find that I am on these extremes and for some stuff it works, but others I have to learn where to dial it in. And I can think that I can see that in, a, in, in you know, you and I work with similar types of clients and executives, but also you think about our personal lives uh, in managing relationships and finding the balances, right? Between yep. the middle of the fairway. Um, and, and knowing yourself, I think EQ is such an important attribute, right? As you start to think about not just for the business world, but you know, in your personal lives, your, your self-awareness, self-regulation. Um, how have you found you've been able to, to manage that both personally and professionally? The, the, the self-awareness, I think, is because you, you're in an environment with people who practice this for a living. This is all they do. And so when you hear those terminologies at the beginning, probably didn't do as much of it. But now because I'm teaching it, I have to practice what I preach. And so there are times where, boy, people have said things to me that I go, then I go, okay, the camera is on. Your students just heard you say, regulate your behavior. My leadership is independent of you. How I respond, it's what I own. 
And I have to recite that all the time. So even just teaching the work reminds me that I have to be the example that I'm asking others to set. Otherwise, I would stop teaching if I can't practice the very tools that I give you. So I don't give tools out that I don't use. And so people say, well, why don't you use this certification and that one and this one? I use the ones that I've been able to personally bring into my workspace and use and can show, you know, really, really robust outcomes around it. So the, the exposure to others and the constant reminder from teaching it. Yeah, that's really good. Now let's um, let's have a little fun here. Let's go. Let's go a little off. Let's go a little off the reservation, a little off the grid, and talk about just you know re- relational capacity that we have today in the culture that we're living in. You know, as you and I were talking about in the pre-show, why well, I love having guests on who are from different backgrounds. Obviously, you're an African-American woman, well-accomplished, who's just a brilliant. Uh, I'm an old farm boy from Ohio. So if you look at the two of us on the street, you'd say we have nothing in common. Uh, yet we care deeply about people. We care deeply about uh, helping people achieve you know, their, their best. Um, what's going on right now <laughs> in our culture? Like what, what really, can you, help, can you help me out? Because I feel like it's it's gone sideways and sometimes it needs to go sideways right in order to go straight again i think sometimes that's helpful um what's your perspective on where we're at both corporate america are we making strides with diversity and inclusion how much further i mean are we still miles and miles away what can i learn and my audience learn who are different than you from you today right uh look at the time i gotta go So, so first, we have we not gone sideways. We've already always been sideways. It's never been right, and we just haven't acknowledged that. And some people now are for the first time acknowledging it, which makes it frustrating for those who have watched it for years and years and years. A lot of this injustice, but I think if if we get down to fundamentals, you're right. You and I may look a lot different, but I bet if we sat here, we could find fifty things in common. The work that we do families and our connection back to Ohio. There's so many things that you can have in common. And I think if we take the time to show people that, we focus so much, I love diversity, but we focus so much on the difference. We forget that diversity is what you put together to make something even better. Yeah. And that's what we have to understand. I it was laughing. I won't say where I lived at the time, but I had a neighbor once who was not happy that this black couple moved next to them and he was like, oh, here goes the neighborhood, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, my house is valued a little bit more than yours. So I'm kind of wondering, are you going to cut your grass, right? So right. we were into this whole thing and I just let it go. And then he was just just, just mean on a regular basis. And somebody said he had um, put up this Confederate flag and his view of it was just there are people who should be in their place and you don't deserve to be here. No, he doesn't know anything about my background, how hard I've worked or any of that. That's just his opinion. And the other neighbor said, you should go tell him off. And I said, then I will be doing what he's doing. I got to do this a different way. And I said, I do want the flag to come down because what it represented for him uh, was it was hatred. And he was very clear about that. So one day I had to have my trees cut down and um, I go over to the fence and he says, you know, what do you want? And I had the tree person there and he looked at him and he said, I said, my tree guy has something to tell you. And he goes, I don't want anything. I don't want your trucks in my yard. You better not even touch my property. And the tree person said, you might want it to. She's actually paying extra to have me shape this tree so that you don't lose your shade when it's 100 degrees this summer. 
So she's going through extra work to protect you. And I would just cut it down. I advise her just to cut it down and save some money. She's going through all that to protect you. After that, two days later, the flag is down. Wow. And he comes over and he says, hey, you want some help over there? I see you all struggling with something in the backyard. I'm like, no, want a beer? I'm, yeah, I'm not turning a beer down. I don't care who it is. I'm taking the beer, right. right? And so just slowly we got, now what I have liked to go over and say, hey, look, yeah, but that's not how you change things. I think he realized we look different. But we both care about our property. We both care about, you know, having a little shade in the summer when it's 100 degrees. We both care about certain things. And I think that's how we each have to start changing it. Now, that's one-on-one. There's a lot of systematic stuff that's happening that's going to take a lot more energy, effort, time, resources to, to change it. And people have to want to do it. Yeah. Uh, that last piece I'll mention is just perspective. I think if we could see it from each other's perspective, you know, when people say, oh, I can't believe you don't see the flag the same way or this. And I think about my dad. He was born in 1913. So by the time civil rights came and he was given rights, he was in his 50s. Wow. He died at 80. So he lived 50 years, no rights, 30 years or so with rights. You tell me how you feel about it. Yeah. Right. We don't see it the same way. It was, you know, think about we the people. Well, his great granddaddy was considered property. He wasn't a person. So he doesn't see himself in that document. Yeah. And then he said, well, well, well now you, you should. Oh, but give me 50 years of having to deal with this other. Give me time to see it and see that from my perspective. But I also see it from, you know, we beat up the the, the wealthier we call them entitled white male, but I also, they haven't had to live these experiences. Right. right. And so I also see it from their perspective, but I think we all have an obligation to each other to get educated and look at it from each other's extreme. Yeah, I think so good. And I think that's, um, you covered so much there. That was such a great uh, yeah, yeah. way to use a story really to illustrate where we're at and what the, it is one, but even the systemic stuff starts with the one-to-one mindset, I think, right? It's each person owning each conversation and recognizing that I, that's the thing that hit me through all of this is I played sports all growing up. And so all of my African-American friends, we always were just friends because of sports and we never saw each other as black or white. We saw each other. Are you good or are you not good? (laughs) Right? Can you shoot or can you not shoot? You know, can you tackle or can you not tackle? And so to me, I never was and I was lucky enough, even though my, my papa was from the South, I was raised in Ohio. We didn't really ever see color. I wasn't raised that way. I was fortunate enough to not be raised that way. And now I'm sure there was stuff deep inside, you know, we always have biases and stuff like that. But my, to me, this whole thing, I, I, my initial reaction, I confess, was, man, I was dirt poor, raised on a farm, worked my butt off to get to where I did, first person to get a college degree. And I don't know what everybody's complaining about. And I had to kind of really check myself because my perspective was still very much. Now I was getting offended by people being offended. Right. Right. Because, but you know what I mean? Cause my background was so, I didn't see it that way. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> right? I need a perspective to see why, Hey, why am I getting offended by someone else being offended when I don't even understand why they're offended. <laughs> right. And I think it took those conversations and starting to see that, Here's my thing is I, I want to unpack this stuff with people like yourself and many others. And I want to understand, but I don't want to just talk about it. Like I want to act on it. I want to do something. I want to make a difference. I want to make the inclusion part of diversity inclusion start to come alive, right? 
Absolutely. And that's what's critical. And, and you brought up a good point around, see, there's another thing we have in common, first to go to college, right? And um, th- th- when you think about it, we used to tell people don't see color. And that was that was it. Now we're actually saying, I want you to see that I am. You know, when you introduce me to the African-American female, I am. And white male, that's okay. I mean, it. But I want you to see it because then I want you to see that I have a little bit different and sometimes a really big different view of the world and people are going to have a different view of me. Right. And so I want you to see those differences, but not use those differences to make decisions that would hurt either one of us. That's huge. Right. Just because you may have had a trust fund or growing up or somebody else had a trust fund going up. I don't judge them for that. I completely understand it. Now, but we also have to understand historically how you were put in a position or the person was put in a position to get that. Right. And your counterpart from a different race was not. Right. And so I think we're willing to do a few things. Go back and the painful education of learning about this. It's critical to know where this stuff stemmed from, right? And the second thing is just to be curious. Do you care enough to know why he doesn't want me next door to him? Do I care enough to know why? You know, and I think if we start asking those questions, but we've got to also do the education and you hit a huge word the bias, we all have them, right? right? As soon as we see something, the brain, and you know, this is your expertise, the brain is hardwired to go, boom, snap judgment, go. It's easy. And I think if we stop trying to do the easy work and really think, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel threatened? Why do I want to do this? And that educating one at a time, it's so critical. I'll give you one more I go in a store, and this happens often, but one time, I had just had one time too many. They always want to check your bag when you leave. So my girlfriend, who's a white American, she goes, they never check my bag in there. And I'm like, and you look grubby when you go in, <laughs> dressed in a suit, and you're coming from the gym, and they check my every time. I go, I'm going to stop going here. It's just convenient. So I, I said, I'm going to stop. So I go one last time, and the clerk follows me around. It was like clockwork. I said, you always have something to do on this aisle. Every aisle I'm on, you seem to need to straighten. I said, tell you what, you don't have enough to do. So I didn't have a basket. I said, hold my stuff. Since you're going to follow me, just carry my stuff. Oh, the poor clerk is like, oh my goodness. And as we're walking, I just started educating. I said, why do you suppose you're following me and not maybe that lady? I just pointed to somebody and she says, I don't want to talk about it. I said, talking about it is healthy. I said, it's really hard. I said, but how do you think I feel when I leave here each time that happens? Well, I didn't want to do it. My manager told me, I said, I get it. You don't want to lose your job. I said, but you do realize that if you become manager, that's got to change. And right now as clerk, you could probably still influence that manager. And so we talked. I literally made her follow me around the store. (laughs) And she goes, I'm going to get in trouble. I said, if your manager comes over, we're going to have a nice conversation. I said, so trust me, you won't be in trouble. But I saw that young lady again, because, of course, I kept going to the store. I'm like, this is too convenient. I'm going. And I saw her again. And she said, I took a um, Black Studies class in this class. And I learned about the history and how some of this happened. And she said, I had a conversation with my manager. Now, whether her manager changed or not, I don't know. But I remember her looking at me and saying, I don't want to talk about this. I said, but we have to. Because what if you translate that to your daughter or your son later and I'm out and they see me or see my daughter or son, I don't have kids. But I said, don't you see how we have to talk about painful stuff sometimes? And I think she got it. That 
But are we going to always be willing to stop and take the energy to educate? Right. We have a choice. We have to. Well, that's where I think things continue to go sideways is we don't. Mm-hmm. Is right. So we're just going to yell and throw, you know, throw bombs, you know, metaphorically at people who are different than us or people who, uh, who, who are trying to do something. Now, the problem I think today too also is that we've got so many people with power grabbing agendas that they're using different aspects of what's wrong with this thing to actually almost manufacture the wrong, uh, you know, the wrong environment. Th- then these healthy conversations get buried. Exactly. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I know it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of evil people in the world trying to use things that oh, we're heading down a path of transformation because then it's not convenient for them. If you and I and everyone that's different, if we all start getting along and we all start serving and loving one another the way that the good book says we're supposed to, if we start doing that on a regular basis, then those people in power, they don't have anything to hold against us. They don't have anything to tell us that we should, we shouldn't be that way. But that, that, that's easier. To me, it's easier to have the hatred. It takes a lot more energy to be patient and kind and think from an empathy standpoint. What might he have gone through? What is she thinking? What does he need from me? That takes a lot more energy. And some of us just don't. We take the lazy way out. And it's easy to say, oh, I don't like those people. And that's that. I don't have to deal with them or talk to them. Done. It's, it's, it's easier, right? Yeah. I, and there's a quote by Martin Luther King. My mom would quote this to me until I was an adult. I did not know this was his quote. She, I don't think she tried that to was hers. <laughs> yeah. She quoted all the time and never said the author, right? But she would say, I said, oh, I hate this person. I hate that person. We grew up in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. That's a tough place to grow up. And when you're a person of color and I said, oh, I hate when they do this. I hate. My mom said, let no man pull you low enough to hate him. Let no man pull you low enough to hate him. And I realize now that was Dr. Martin Luther King's quote. And what I realize is you don't get that kind of energy from me. Like you're not my puppet master. I am not going to spend time and energy hating you. I'm going to figure out a strategic way to cut down the shade tree and let you realize I did you one. You might as well realize we're more alike than not. I like shade too, right? And by the way, you got a dog over there who needs the shade and I happen to love dogs. By the way, that's another thing we have in common. And now you're realizing I'm not so much different than your daughter, am I? And it's hard to hate when you see yourself reflected. And I would make reminders all the time to him. And I would think, oh, I saw you have your blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I just got mine last week. And I just made reminders to let him know we are so much more alike than you care to admit. It makes it hard to hate. Not saying people still can't do it because some people practice it. I think so, right, right. <laughs> they, oh, they work at it. But <laughs> now look what you're doing here. So you already take, you took a phrase that the enemy is meant for evil called throwing shade at somebody. And you turned that phrase around and you threw shade at your neighbor in a good way. <laughs> I have never thought about it. Yes, I threw good shade. I like that. You got another book title. Well, I know you probably didn't expect us to go down that path, but it just kind of felt like we needed to go down that path. And every chance I get, I like to have that conversation. So now let's pivot a second in our remaining time. And your experiences and your life, everybody's journey. I always always like to say that in my own experience, when I try to pursue um, success, I rarely found significance. But when I started pursuing significance, it's so, just so funny how success just seems to follow. 
Uh, now, in your life, in your path, and the way you coach executives now, and you're, you're really well known for being able to take a company and executive teams and strategic and really take them in a different, to different, whole different zip code, um, what's been your key to success with team building, unity, strategy in the corporate world? To really care about what you do. Really honestly care about the work that I'm doing, and I see value in it, and I have seen the outcome, the benefit. When you can see a team who's a lot of unhealthy conflict and they're not sharing data and information, they get together and they really go, ooh, it's kind of cool coming in, working with each other now. They're getting out the car in the morning with a little pep in the step and you start to see results, profitability turn around. You start to see things. You really start to go, this is good work. And you've got to really believe in it and want to do it. And I turn down any engagements where, A, I don't think I'm the right person to help you because I want results. And sometimes I'm not the right style and personality. I mean, you've met me. <laughs> it takes a lot. <laughs> but I also show up every day and work to do my best work. And when I'm in an environment where I don't mind a tough environment, I don't mind it being hard and hard work. But when I realize that I'm the only one in here fighting to make this work, after I've tried every tool I know, then I walk away from those. I refer them to someone else. But I think you have to love what you do, see value, and you stay motivated when you see the outcomes. That those keep you coming back. That's good. That's really good. Well, where, where can people learn more about your business and your books? And how could they engage with you and your team? Uh, where would where can we send them? They can hang out at the website, improveconsulting.biz, B-I-Z. And there's information on all the stuff that we do there. And so that's a nice place for them to go, or they can go on LinkedIn with me and we can connect as well. And are your books, uh, your books on Amazon or where can they find those? They're on Amazon as well. So, and also I think the website sends you a link to, to go take a look at those. And that's fantastic. And there's uh, you guys have a lot of really good in Ellen's quick lessons, uh, snippets of your advice on the website. I like that. So people can go on there and just read some quick advice. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to read each of those again and see if they're coming from the voice of your daddy or of your mama. <laughs> that's if I, I, know. if I was your client, that's why I'd, I'd be like, oh, she's in, she's in daddy mode this morning, boys. Right. You better Which strap one? on. <laughs> right. And that, I do warn people, do you want me on the right or the left or somewhere in between, right? What do you want me to dial it at? I, I love that. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I know I took a lot away from today's conversation. I feel, I feel smarter. I feel more educated. I feel more motivated to continue to have these conversations um, about what unites us, but also about perspective and, and seeking out those who have different perspectives so that I can learn from it. I think the audience probably took a lot away from it today. So I really appreciate you going there with me. I appreciate that. I think if we just stay curious in a healthy way where we solve a whole lot of what's going on. It's uh, when you close up and go, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. You got to deal with the tough stuff. So we got two things now. We're going to close with this. So we're going to get t-shirts that say, you know, throw in some good shade my way. Love it. And then now we got to stay curious. You remember the stay thirsty, the old Dos Equis yeah. commercials. <laughs> we're going to do a stay, stay curious, my friends. We're going to do a commercial. Maybe we throw that on the back as you walk away. Stay curious. I love it. Well, this has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Driving Change Podcast. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. You've got questions. We've got answers. 
business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.